Science is the great antidote to the poison of enthusiasm and superstition. Hi, I'm Juliette Selgren, and this is my podcast, The Great Antidote, named for Adam Smith, brought to you by Liberty Fund. To learn more, visit www.adamsmithworks.org. Welcome back. I'm excited to announce that this week and next week's episodes are going to be a little bit different from other episodes. Just for you, listeners, I have the debut of an audio production of Dwayne Kelly's play about the friendships and ideas of Adam Smith and David Hume. It's called Inquiry Concerning Hereafter. This specific performance was produced and directed by Michelle Blackmon. Regular listeners might remember that Adam Smith was close with historian and philosopher David Hume, but new listeners might be a bit surprised by this. This week, we're exploring that. We have Act 1, which centers on the death of David Hume, who was older than Smith, but still a close friend and a mentor. Next week, we'll be releasing Act 2, which focuses on the death of Adam Smith as the ghost of his dear friend David Hume comes back to help him out one last time. The first production of Kelly's play is being produced by the Edinburgh Business School at the Panmere House in Scotland, which was Adam Smith's residence in his later years. And this will be a part of the 2023 Edinburgh Fringe Festival. It'll be running from August 4th to 28th. If you love our production, go get yourself to Edinburgh for the Fringe. I hope you enjoy Act One of Dwayne Kelly's Inquiry Concerning Hereafter. Adam Smith Works presents Inquiry Concerning Hereafter, adapted by Dwayne Kelly from his stage play of the same name. Produced, directed, and narrated by Michelle Blackman. Starring Dean T. Moody as David Hume, David Drummond as Adam Smith, and Michael Byron Ingersoll as Caron. The dialect coach is Judith Sean. Sound design and engineering is by John Winston and Megan Brady-Wright. The production was recorded at Sound Audio Solutions in Seattle, Washington. The project executives for Adam Smith Works are Christy Lynn Horpedal and Amy Willis. Adam Smith Works is an international academic organization dedicated to Adam Smith, a leading figure of the Enlightenment. This play tells the story of the friendship between philosophers Adam Smith and David Hume. Act One. The time is August 1776. The place, David Hume's bedroom in Edinburgh. Hume, 65 and gravely ill, lies in bed. He dozed off while reading The Downward Journey, a story by the Greek author Lucian. There he is! He's in the window! a boatman who ferries the recently deceased across the river Styx to the afterworld, appears. He carries a long, dark wooden boat pole which doubles as a staff. He bangs it against the bed. What? Who's there? Who are you? Peggy? Where's Peggy? I know not Peggy. Have you harmed her? Who let you in? I believe I'm in that book I see beside you. Which is fiction. Oh, oh, is it? Oh, you cannot be real. Oh, we hear that all the time. 
Did your mother give you a name? She called me Kiron. The boatmen who mortals are powerless to ignore. Though many try. I, I dozed off reading Lucian's account of you. Then you should thank Lucian. <clears throat> Please affirm that you are the philosopher and historian, David Hume. Are you not certain? Oh, I've learned the hard way. It's, it's good to ask. Souls can throw a holy fit when we fetch the wrong one. I'm also called infidel and like appellations that would have saddened my mother. This book did make me fancy you might show up. Lucian is one of many authors who tell us about you and your sad river. No one knows its moods better than me. I am senior boatman. I am honored. As you should be. Zeus often charges me with bringing across notable or vexing mortals. Am I one of those? Oh, you are regarded as both. In what way do I vex? Well, reports have reached Mount Olympus that you don't believe Zeus and the other gods truly exist. And, unfortunately, many mortals read your book. Oh, have I not been sufficiently maligned in this world? Now the gods misapprehend me as well. Sir, I have simply said that gods are unlikely that it is beyond more ken to know with certainty. You have helped convince mortals that they are newly enlightened. Why do gods care what mortals believe? Well, you need to take that up with them. I am a simple boatman. You know my trade? There is much about you I know. What a piece of ingenious conjuring is this. You float in while I sleep on the cusp of oblivion and start banging that damn stick around. What other magic can you perform? Do you fly through the air or alter your shape, pull coins out of books, launch lightning and thunder, speak with fairies, heal the sick, bring the dead back to life? I convey souls in the opposite direction. Of course. If you have the power to disappear, I request you exercise it immediately. I see. Well, if you must stay, I would gladly pay you a king's ransom to make the rabble outside vanish. Mm, sorry. Is a magic trick being performed for my dying amusement or, or torment? Where would be the musician? All evidence points in one direction. Or would that be cause or effect? You don't want to start doing philosophy with me. Perhaps the fault lies in this medicine bottle. Drops from the doctor are causing a nasty reaction. Wrong. So the simple portman is also a chemist. This infernal disease has spread to the brain, upended my senses. See my hand. How many fingers sprout from it? I am no child. Please come over here. Why? Well, in order to touch you. To discover whether, by embracing you, do I end up clutching only myself. Not sure what would be found. So you would be a phantom. <laughs> if you wish. On principle, I have a robust tolerance for doubt. You are putting that principle to the extreme test. You pretend to know much about me. 
tell me something no one would know. <clears throat> in the summer of your ninth year, you went wandering in the fields outside Ninewolves. When you heard loud moans, you slipped behind a willow tree and watched a naked shepherd and maid cavort with each other. Oh, the sheep were little curious. That scene made quite the impression on our young David. You never told a soul. Oh, how Before leaving on this mission, I glanced in your memory chest. That was near the top. If you possess any sort of life, manners dictate I should wear my wig. Where is it? Oh, don't trouble yourself. You won't need it where we be going. My pulse is faint. Speak plainly. Am I dead? Sunday, August 25, 1776, has been a slow day. I arrived a little early and... Are you in a hurry? Oh, not particularly. <laughs> now that we have perhaps established your identity, I fancy you might find it in your otherworldly heart to grant me a little more time. Oh, and why would I do that? Let me think. I have no house to finish building, no daughter to provide for. I do have enemies, but none upon whom I wish to revenge myself. Ah! There are these pages. I have been correcting them for a new book. Please, allow a little time that I might see how the public receives it. Oh, you. Do you know how many authors on their deathbed try that one? <laughs> you needs be more creative. I, I have been endeavouring to open people's eyes to the delusion of superstition and religion. Ah, so the gods have heard. Have a little patience, only till I have the pleasure of seeing the churches shut up and the clergy sent about their business. Oh, you are a loitering rogue. Has not this world taught you anything? You know that won't happen for hundreds of years. Foolish friend, come along. Oh, a moment. Perhaps you would entertain a more modest appeal. As you can see by the food over there, I am expecting a guest. Should have been here by now. Won't you permit us a final farewell? Oh, yeah. I beg your forbearance. As far as I know, we only live here once. From your presence, one might infer that following death, there is something rather than nothing. And I don't mind sharing. That idea holds great interest for me. Plenty please to lend a hand there. One more thing. Do philosophers ever shut up? Where we go, will I meet other souls? Can I ask Herodotus why he insisted on writing history as if it were fiction? Will there be an opportunity to debate tragedy with Aristotle? Ask Socrates whether Plato told us the truth about his death. Wh whom will I find there? Why, everyone. Or, or if not, they'll be showing up soon enough. Oh, mind you, it can get a bit crowded, even minus your lumpy, bony, diseased bodies. Do you know how many years a mortal has to live? Oh, my friend, you best be thinking in minutes, not years. I, I ask in regard to a friend. <laughs> Some questions are best left unanswered. 
If you and Hades are real, when I leave my friend behind, I shall exit with a raw, aching hole, impossible to fell. How difficult is it to locate someone across your river? Finding particular souls involves more luck than chance. Huh? How long can that take? Oh, sometimes forever, which be the same as never. One thing you need to understand is time works different across the river. There's not as much energy. At first, you'll always feel cold. Everything goes slower. Souls move more like snails than mice. This is all rather too much. Just be patient. There'll be more than enough time to get used to it. Were you informed of my disdain for miracles? What is it you call a miracle? Tis a violation of nature. Were someone to tell me that he saw a phantom, I would immediately ask myself whether the speaker had been deceived or tries to deceive me. Or did that extraordinary event actually occur? I weigh the one miracle against the other and always reject the greater miracle. Huh? You lost me back at the Phantom. Care to see if wearing my wig helps? Why not? I'll put it on. There. What do you think? Now, please tell me the square root of 49. What plant grows from a square root? No improvement in the slightest. Here, take your dusty gray wig back. A wise man proportions his belief. To the evidence. Is that their miracle talk, how your brain goes about its business? When it's working properly. So many philosophers have crossed the river that Zeus himself cannot keep them straight. Their talk so much contradicts one another, we don't wonder humanity is a mad circus all topsy-turvy. Enough talk! Oh, I cannot thank you enough, my kind sir. That must be him. A few final minutes in this world with Adam Smith is all that I ask. That Adam Smith, you know him? Like a brother. Oh, will the gods please help me? Another of your Scottish philosophers. There'll be no end of talk. The rumor is he shares your skepticism. But unlike me, he has the wisdom to be discreet. Show a little patience, won't you, good Charon? I still have to find a coin to go under my tongue for your boat fare. Will he be able to see you? No. How much time will you and Professor Smith be wanting? A few breaths only are left to me. We must go soon. When Smith enters, he cannot see Charon, who steps aside and observes. Smith and Hume embrace. My dear Smith, thank God you're here. You cannot begin to know how relieved I am to see you. I hastened here. Peggy sent word that... Well, I should not delay. I have been disturbed by the most vivid dream. Charon himself showed up to ferry me across the river. Can you see him anywhere? Of course not. I bade him go away till after we visit. My friend, you require more rest. He is a saucy, thick-headed rascal. You wouldn't care for him. 
They've been there all day. Worse than a flock of cranky crows. I had to push my way through to reach your door. They are rabid for you to recant your heresies. I well know what they want. Why can they not let a peaceful man die in peace? Every eye in Edinburgh, so it would seem, looks this way. Perhaps their preachers tell them, the more noise they make, the sooner you will depart. Errors in religion are dangerous. Those in philosophy only ridiculous. If the crowd could see you, they would be sorely disappointed. You look better than Peggy led me to expect. I feared I had lost you. I have little pain, but you may be assured I am wasting away. Nah, your appearance makes me hope for recovery. My recovery would be a miracle of miracles. An habitual diarrhea of more than a year's standing would be a very bad disease at any age. At sixty-five, it is a fatal one. I am sensible that some of my vital parts are affected. These are the very same symptoms that ended my mother's life. I plan on having you around a while longer. No, Smith, believe me. I am dying as fast as my enemies could wish, and as easily and cheerfully as my best friends could desire. What your many friends desire is that you remain among us. Look, the weather even conspires to keep you here. Despite that noisome crowd, the day is fine. Uh, Too bad I cannot get out. Uh, Try to enjoy it by sympathy. Ah, the professor's favoured faculty. If I may be permitted an instance of sympathy, I am concerned about my friend from across the Firth. After I am gone... Promise not to overindulge your fondness for solitude. No need to worry. With you, I fear there is need to worry. Though I may not possess your social gift, I am no hermit. The water you see out the window, when my spirits get low, I go swim in it, no matter the season. (laughs) The firth will freeze your tallywags. I find it dependable medicine. Perfect solitude is perhaps the greatest punishment we can suffer in this world. I do not disagree. Nature does not make us to be alone. Let all the powers of nature conspire to serve one man. Let the sun rise and set at his command. (laughs) No matter. He will still be miserable till you give him at least one person with whom he may share his happiness. Our bond has proved this. That is why your absence will be a stiletto between the ribs. If you have any credit with Charon, can you petition for a delay? Are you certain you cannot see him? Look carefully. Oh, David. Well, I am afraid he would only give me a few minutes at most. What about his superior? My influence there is less than zero. Could I be allowed to accompany you? Your good health disqualifies you. Must be all that cold swimming. (laughs) Piggy has set out food. How I would have loved to cook for you today. Let's imagine the menu. Oysters for the hors d'oeuvre. And then, let me see. Your sheep's head broth. Oh, yes, followed by beef and cabbage. Oh, no one does it better. Not without reason did our confreres in Paris name you Northern Epicurus. And for dessert, three kinds of ice cream, including your favourite with strawberries, 
can there be any greater joy than hosting friends and at the end of an evening watch them roll down my front steps toward their beds somewhere in this lovely odoriferous city? The joy has belonged to your friends who dined here and drank. <laughs> Never a shortage of wine at Chez Le Bon David. Uh, Voltaire's shipment to Burgundy near ruined me. I was obliged to give so many dinners to share it. I did my part to dry those bottles. <laughs> Twas a fine vintage. Oh, let's open a bottle now and enjoy what she set out. Uh, uh, where's the wine? How was that forgot? Uh, call to Peggy. Oh, let the poor woman rest. How many times have I retrieved bottles from your cellar? I could find it blind. <laughs> I'll be but a minute. Charon steps forward. It appears my friend could not see you. I did not come for him. Will he ever see you? When his days run out, what I can see is that your ties go deep. Perhaps you were even worthy of each other. We see that sometimes. All right, enjoy your last supper. I will return. But, but when? Soon. Ah. Uh, oh. Gone. Now what? Ah, this bottle was waiting just for us. My decrepit old frame is filled with disease. Smith, tell me, does my mind seem much disordered this afternoon? No more than usual. Here, take this. It may help. Ah, thank you. Let's be serious now. This afternoon, that Charon fellow, I, I don't... I fear my mind has slipped its mooring and floats loose as my bowels. We all travel in the same direction, as surely as a stone tumbles down Castle Mount. I imagine the sight of the ground approaching would unsettle any man. But if you're asking me, have you turned mad? The plain answer is no. I lack confidence in your judgment. Trust me to advise when you stop speaking sense. Infidels who don't repent, straight to hell will be sent. Infidels who don't repent, straight to hell will be sent. Oh, uh, their verse scans badly. Milton may rest easy in the grave. Here, help me to the window. This is an irksome side of our species I need to witness. Help me. Step back where they can't see. This wine, a joy. Unlike the riot outside. A mob is a monster I could never abide. Bring over a chair for me to lean on. Thank you. We flatter ourselves to imagine our work nudges the human animal in a more virtuous direction. Reason is and ought to be the slave of the passions. But if your impartial spectator goes missing, we can be faced with a sordid scene. Just look out there. We don't want them shouting louder. Do you know the story of Janet Horn? Don't think so. You are too young. I was maybe fifteen, and remember quite clearly the chatter. Horn lived in the highlands town of Dornock. 
There she was bound, smeared with hot tar, sealed in a barrel, and burnt by her Christian neighbors. For whatever reason. Victim of superstition and hysteria. She was the last alleged witch to be killed in Scotland, as far as I know. A mere fifty years have lapsed from that woman's murder to the mob outside. For centuries, Protestants chopped off Catholic heads and displayed them atop spikes on London Bridge. Uh, William Wallace among them. Reason is an imperfect crust. With luck, it may gain thickness, hold fewer imperfections, be guided by wiser passions, but progress is hardly assured. Society is so fragile a thing. It can always use more kindness. Is the rebel still out there? You have your answer. Hmm. We can be confident they haven't read your moral sentiments book. Perhaps they come from the south of the Tweed. I do not believe there is one Englishman in fifty who, if he heard that I broke my neck last night, would not be rejoiced. You have many friends in London. Sure. Nah, David, I was just there. I can vouch for them. You're too harsh on our southern neighbours. <laughs> They're kinder to you because you can affect their pinched accent. When do you return to Karkati? Mother expects me tomorrow. She is ill and needs my attention. On a clear day, from that window, I can see across the water to your town. That view would have offered more interest had I known you are out there swimming. Often I would look that way and wonder how you were faring, particularly during the struggles with wealth of nations. Oh, ten hard years on that. I saw that it had depth and solidity and acuteness and so many curious facts that the public had no choice but to embrace it. Nonetheless, as I know only too well... My first book having fallen dead-born from the press. Every author trembles at a book's birth. Now all signs are that your decade was not squandered. The reviews in London and Paris go from favourable to rapturous. One or two suspected the influence of an obscure writer named Hume. <laughs> that hack! We'll keep mum about him. Congratulations, my friend. If I had a supply of laurel leaves, I would set some round your head. Oh, a little restraint, David, please. What? Am I not allowed to enjoy my friend's success? What of sales? Well, Strawn is delighted, which means I am pleased. Though we both are perturbed that unauthorized editions have already appeared in Dublin and Philadelphia. Heaven knows how much income we lose. What price do the pirated copies sell for? One pound for a bound octavo. Infuriating. But what can an author do? If nothing else, your reputation expands. Though not my purse. I am slow, a very slow workman, who does and undoes everything I write at least half a dozen times. I wish I could write with just a third your speed. Our countless arguments, many echoing off the walls in this room, made it a more sturdy book. Unfortunately, your opinions are sometimes an error, especially when you have the misfortune to differ from me. Oh. 
I was always glad to come within sight of you, if only by this distant view. But, as I also longed to speak, I would have crossed the firth to visit, but you know how mortally sick I get at sea. Uh, does Charon know he could have a mess in his boat? Uh, Styx is said to be gloomy and fog-covered, but also smooth. Maybe, in a distant future, engineers will construct a bridge to span the firth. <laughs> Can you fancy that? Imagine all the commerce such a project would represent. Uh, long after our time. Please... Help me back to bed. Peggy did lay out some tempting morsels here. Oh, help yourself. Care for anything? I believe there's soup. Ah, I see it. I'll try a little. Be right there. Ah, thank you. Oh, Damn it! I, I spilled... Here, let me help with the spoon. Just sit. What's wrong? I'm sorry. No appetite. And Anyway, it goes straight through me. The wine will be my tonic for now. Have I ever shown you this? <laughs> a coin that size will wear a quick hole in your pocket. Not exactly a coin... But it does come with a rich story, one I don't believe you know. Well, come on, man. We have precious little time. Let's hear it, chapter and verse. I must warn you, it violates Hume's doctrine on superstition. My resolve there may be wavering. And in any case, so long as superstition goes by its proper name... I have no quarrel with it. Oh. <clears throat> when I was three, mother took me to a harvest fair in Fife. While a couple of gypsies were distracting her, confederates stole me away. Mother was mortified when I couldn't be found. My uncle located me the next day in a gypsy camp outside Strathendry Castle. They claimed I was wandering alone after dark and had carried me to their camp for safety. Uncle John didn't buy a word of it, but he chose not to press charges. It was a long while before Mother let me out of her sight in public again. You must have been in a panic. I recall nothing. I heard my uncle tell the story so many times that I came to believe I did remember what happened, but now I doubt it. Memory, in fact, can be an unfaithful marriage. Indeed. But then, there is this coin... A few years on, my uncle handed it to me, said the gypsies wanted me to have it, told him it was an amulet with magical properties. Now I can hear the tambourine. Did they speak true? Well, it has been fifty years now, and except for a plague of illnesses, none fatal, and a few miserable years at Oxford, on balance I have led a more or less charmed existence. That includes... Our friendship. I'm sure this metal disc had nothing to do with any of that. May I see it? Smith hands him the amulet. As Hume studies it, Smith looks toward the window and slips into an absent-minded spell. Smith? Smith? We were talking. 
Time is short. Smith. It will be hard. What will? To be without you. Yes. Regarding this coin, we dwell in a world so full of wonder that no amount of discoveries in natural history... Do not forget mathematics. That, too, will ever explain all. The genius who gave us force equals mass times acceleration, do you know what he spent his last years doing? Newton was curious about many things. He was trying to make gold grow like branches on a bush from solutions of mercury. That rarest genius was also highly religious, took the Bible as literal. When I hear a man is religious, I conclude he is a rascal, though I have known some instances of very good men, we may include Newton, being religious. If someone of Sir Isaac's brilliance could wander down that path... Which reminds me, religion is an area where I owe you an apology. Not so as I know. Oh, let's not pretend, Smith, that our friendship has not been a liability for you in clerical circles. No irreparable harm. That we know of. For public restraint in such matters, you exceed me admirably. It would have served me well to follow your example. Someone else who would benefit from restraint is James Boswell. Tell me, what was he like as your student in Glasgow? Boswell? Attentive enough, though restless, he could put you in mind of a flea. (laughs) How so? One term, he broke off his studies, ran down to London, converted to Catholicism, planned to join a monastery across the Channel, and then decided the life of a libertine was the one for him. All those stages he passed through in a period of three weeks. Had he kept that up, His life would have been stuffed with more incidents than his Dr. Johnson. (laughs) Why do you ask? He was here last week, insisted that we meet. Knowing my scepticism about a hereafter, he felt obliged to convert me to a firm belief in immortality, preferably of the Christian variety. I said it was a most unreasonable fancy that we should exist forever, and he protested— I politely asked, by what argument can we prove any state of existence which no one ever saw? He was hard put. When I said a future state was as likely as a lump of coal not burning after being set onto a fire, a fit of apoplexy seized him. Another encounter with Rousseau would have been more pleasant. Nah, I cannot believe that. I tell you true. (laughs) Let them both go to the devil. Two days later, he had the gall to come back wishing to disturb me further. I had him turned away. If your former student resembles a flea, (laughs) he's a hopping mad one. An honest flea suffers by comparison. I have not spoken with him since the time in London I cursed Johnson as a son of a bitch for calling you a liar. (laughs) Being insulted by Samuel Johnson puts me in rather good company. (laughs) He once exalted you for being dull as a dog. I never heard that. Oh, it is true. A far more pleasant visitor was Alan Ramsay. His two portraits of me have come in for much praise, he claims. Both are superb and will do you much credit with posterity. Oh, I am glad of them. And that Alan was able to capture me in my former corpulent splendor. 
This summer I've lost seventy pounds. A smaller waist does not flatter me. "'Twas an honor being portrayed by Scotland's most gifted artist. "'Alan said he approached you to propose your portrait. "'Ramsay's a pleasant enough fellow. "'He appears to know everybody who's anybody. "'That would be an asset in his trade. "'He also said you turned him down flat, "'despite there being no portrait of you extant. "'Posterity will want to gaze at your eyes "'and wonder what lay behind them.' is wrong to deprive the world of at least one fair image. The brush would suffer paralysis. I have never been a beau in anything but my books. Pshaw! As handsome as any gentleman in Scotland. Oh, God help Scotland! I am sure that if you dig deep in your abstemious soul, you can find enough vanity to do this small project— Alan feels that history will prosecute him for neglect and prejudice if there are two portraits of me and none of you. I promised to advise when you speak nonsense. You have now entered that realm. I tell you as a friend and admirer, you are a fool not to accept Alan's flattering offer. If you will not do this for future admirers, then agree as a parting gift for me. You would never see it. But I will leave here in greater comfort. This is important, Smith. Please do not disappoint me and future generations. The future will not care a farthing for my appearance, but I cannot be insensible to your wishes. How much time does a portrait require? Several sittings for several hours, no more. You know how congenial Ramsay is. Sitting for him is nothing less than pleasant. Need I buy a new suit of clothes? Not at all. All right. I shall speak with him. Thank you. Have you been able to do any work? A little rewriting here and there. Certainly not earning my keep. Reading and sauntering and lounging and dozing, which is now what I call thinking, have been my labor. We can be pleased that a man of sixty-five, by dying, cuts off only a few years of infirmities. Did you see Stran in London? We had dinner my last evening there. He complains that you have not given him a seventh volume of history. Says it would have made you both a fortune. Oh, the man has no idea how much labor they require. I hope you told him the truth. I got too old, too fat, too lazy, and too rich. Better he should hear that from you. Other news from London. What of the colonies? The talk is of little else. Some in Parliament have proposed both the fleet and army come home. Could I be present? I would second that opinion. I am an American in my principles. Though their leaders can be over-ambitious and high-spirited, we are of the same mind. Oh, the biggest news is that last month, on the 4th of July, they formally declared independence. Ben Franklin was in the middle of it all. Does that surprise us? He predicted as much during our dinners here. My reputation suffers because Thomas Jefferson has praised Wealth of Nations as the finest book ever written on political economy. 
Now one of the colonists' arguments for revolt is the wealth of nations is not increased by taxes on tea. To the barricades with Professor Smith. (laughs) You are fortunate to get out of London alive. Does the fighting continue? Oh, brutal. Heavy casualties on both sides, plunging many mothers into grief. The sympathy of soldiers' mothers is too often overlooked. They care that their sons' hearts beat more than what flag they wave. Some of those dead are Scottish lads. Has not the obscene corruption with the East India Company taught us anything? If an accurate accounting were drawn up, I expect we would find the expense to maintain the colonies exceeds whatever financial benefits flow to our shores. Leave the Americans to govern or misgovern themselves as they think proper. What have you been revising? These pages right here. In January, when we spoke about my will... You graciously agreed to serve as trustee for my manuscripts, including this one. The Dialogues? Dialogues Concerning Natural Religion by David Hume. I made a few last revisions and had three fresh copies made for you, for nephew David, and for Strawn. If he chooses to publish it. This is your copy. I don't know, David. What don't you know? Is there some question about Strong? He and I both hold reservations. What reservations? The same I touched on in January. Ah, you're concerned about controversy. So is Strong. I would prefer these pages remain in manuscript to be shared with a circle of trusted friends. For caution, no one excels you, Smith. This is no more controversial than other things I have published and suffered abuse for. Surely you realize this is a powder keg? I realize no such thing. This is hardly the first time the world has heard questions about gods and our future state. Furthermore, do not presume this represents my final position. Then why publish it? Because it airs a nuanced range of views which presented in one volume can serve to enlighten and increase tolerance. You have enemies in high places who delight in attacking you, and here you give them ammunition on every page. I wonder why you exaggerate. The wonder is why you have waited two and a half decades to publish this, only to now foist the burden upon me. Society has changed in that time. Shall we step outside and ask the mob? If I expected clamour, you are the last person I would burden. Who better than I knows how you prize tranquility? No questions are more fundamental to the human condition than ones in those pages, but society is unready. Wealth of nations does not avoid controversy. Of this sort it does. I want nothing more than for you and your ideas to be read and respected and debated and built upon hundreds of years hence. You want my portrait painted for posterity? Well, it is for the same reason I want to shelter this. Is it my legacy that worries you? Oh, that is unkind, David. Is it? I leave this world any minute now. Perhaps you are right. Your mind is slipping. How else to explain blindness to the outrage this would incite? Do not be foolish. Foolish? Let me see those pages. Just listen to this. 
A great number of men join in building a house or ship. Why may not several deities combine in contriving a world? While I commend you for recognizing the utility of dividing labor, many will read this as blasphemy. But, Smith, please look who is speaking there. It is Philo, a fictional character I invented. David Hume is not speaking. Few will draw that distinction. Elsewhere in here, you suggest that the reason so many sorrows plague this world is because it was a first draft generated by an incompetent god. Good luck with that one. Do we call Milton a bad poet because he wrote fine speeches for Lucifer? An army would be required to defend this. There are already too many who judge you hostile to religion, who view your opposition as its own type of dogma. You are the one being foolish. Mm, forget it. If tis that incendiary, give it back. No, I will be glad to hold on to this copy. You are the least glad person I ever set eyes on. I say give the damn thing back before it sets you on fire. I am not flammable. If you won't give it back, then I'll come get it. David, David, please. You're in no condition. God, what are you thinking? Damn it to hell that you are a stubborn, senseless beast. Are you hurt? Let me help you back to bed. Ah, not the bed. I am sucked to death up bed. Bring the chair. Take this. Finish your wine. You are a bloody fool. And, my dearest friend, for the life of me, I cannot recall why. If you want it that badly, here, have the pages back. Why would I want it? Because... I have the original, don't I? You know very well that my position is and always has been sceptical. The very opposite of dogma. David, I would ask you to kindly consider a further point. Could there be any worse time to ask this of me? Wealth of nations is just now finding its way in the world, perhaps with a chance to fulfill the ambitions we both hold for it. Do you now wish to put all that at risk? I will board Charon's vessel with no hope of this book published. What I will promise is this. I will see that it is published by someone somewhere while I yet breathe. But understand, in no way will my name be associated with it. Published somewhere other than a remote province in China. (laughs) Not in China. Somewhere near enough to Europe to provoke the controversy you're so eager to invite. France would supply a more ready audience than England. I'm not so sure. On this side of the channel, I'm thought to have too little religion. Over there, I'm thought to have too much. Does that cast me in limbo? (laughs) Let's refer that question to Rome. Uh, The next time you are in Paris, there is a favour, a a very private matter I could ask of you. Of course, anything, if I am able. Do you have an inkling? You wish me to run down Rousseau and drown him? (laughs) 
If you should cross paths with that scoundrel and water is convenient, I would have no objection. Uh, now, where is it? There is no one I would more trust than you in such a delicate matter. Uh, oh, found it. I, I would like this ring returned to its owner. May I see it? You may do more than see it. Here. Oh, exquisite. Do I know the owner? You do. There was a time, years ago in France, when love, that word is not too much here, love from one who possesses as much wit and beauty as affection, saved me from total indifference to life. I had been lost in a shadowland for a time. I believe you are acquainted with the affliction. Indeed, you well know. Shadowland could serve as apt title for my years at Oxford. Melancholy seized me, and I feared all doors leading out were barred. Am I to know her name? The Comtesse de Beaufler, Marie Charlotte. Oh, I am happy for you, my friend. And, sad, the romance became interrupted. She made the deepest impression on everyone. Why, her salon was the warmest and most lively in all of Paris. Some evenings did not end for me until the sun rose. Her maid would wake us with a, a gentle knock on the bedchamber door and bring in coffee. Those memories have been a treasure house I oft drew from. But now... Knowing I will never see her. I ask that you tell no one. I also have a letter for her somewhere if I could find it. Smith has fallen into one of his spells. He takes bread from the table, dips it in his wine, and eats. Smith? Smith! Come back, please. Hello there. You may wish to dip the bread in something other than red wine. Oh, yes, of course. Was I? Uh, thank you. Oh, the Comtesse. I cannot give you a firm date, but you have my promise to call on her. No one will hear a whisper of this. Ah, here is the letter. Uh, take it to go with the ring. I've never understood how you dodged Cupid's darts these many years. When I was young, his missiles would graze me, even tore my garments a few times. But I'm not sure that a woman ever found me sufficiently lovely. Rubbish. Is it? By now we may reliably infer that a wife was not our fate. Should we regret that? Have you? Have you? The Lord grants us only one life to live. That is the commonest view. Our lives left us all the more time for books, ideas, and friendship. Though it must be admitted, books can lack for softness, curves, and bodily warmth. Ideas and books, they are our forebears and our children. We would be the envy of some gods. <laughs> Ew, this is the poorest claret I've ever tasted in your house. Oh, something may have fallen in the glass. Oh, how did you know? Set it aside and pour a new one. You may refill mine while you're at it. Would the doctors approve? 
A man at the end of his life may be permitted a second glass. I am a doctor too, though unfortunately it's moral philosophy, not medicine. Nevertheless, I approve. Here you are. You may even have a third if you wish. No approbation means more to me than yours. Now, help me back to bed, would you please? (laughs) Charon enters from a direction Hume cannot see. Still invisible to Smith, Charon silently observes. Charon's boat is about to sail, isn't it? Uh, Do you know the lines from Pope? A heap of dust alone remains of thee. Tis all thou art, and all the proud shall be. The doctor has promised all shall be over soon. This last week my infirmities have so multiplied that life has become a burden. Peggy would readily tell you just how much. Did you know you were always her favorite guest? She once remarked you possessed a kind soul, and I failed to disabuse her. (laughs) You... Being with me is good medicine. Except when you crash onto the floor. Smith moves closer to the window. Some in the crowd see him. Oh, so vile an insect man can be. That mob reminds me just how spiteful and ill-natured. A nuisance. I grant them no credence as an adversary. They are an ignorant hornet's nest stirred up without cause. Here am I, who have written on all sorts of subjects calculated to excite hostility, moral, political, and religious. One book so scandalous not even you will touch it. And yet I have no enemies except for... All the Whigs, all the Tories, and all the Christians. (laughs) Do you feel ready, David, for the undiscovered country? The author of Hamlet presupposes a creature exists to do the discovering. I am inclined to think Shakespeare is right there. But we don't know, do we? Ever the skeptic. My thoughts of late may be shifting in your direction. What have you and I spent our lifetime doing? Cicero put it plainly. To philosophize is to learn how to die. Now is my test. Hume now sees Charon. Their eyes meet. Come here. Take my hand. We arm ourselves... With as much wisdom as we can find, yet even the sturdiest stoic cannot keep the heart from tearing at a time like this. Oh, come on, Smith. I believe I am the one dying. And who is now condemned to live in a world without his brother? I don't know how it will be. I don't wish to let go. Please, hand me my wig. Never mind. I forgot. There's no need. Hume lifts their joined hands and squeezes. Their eyes meet. Hume stops breathing and his head goes slack. Smith closes Hume's eyes, kisses him, 
takes the gypsy amulet from his pocket and places it in Hume's mouth. He draws the sheet up over Hume's head and, grief-stricken, embraces the shrouded body. Charon approaches the bed, pulls down the sheet, and removes the oval. He lightly touches Hume, who opens his eyes and looks at Charon. The time has come. Hume nods to Charon, rises, and they exit. Smith remains grieving over Hume's shrouded body. Act One ends. Once again, I'd like to thank my guest for their time and insight, and I'd like to thank you for listening to The Great Antidote podcast. The Great Antidote is sound engineered by Rich Goyette. If you have any questions, any guests or topic recommendations, please feel free to reach out to me at thegreatantidote at gmail.com. Thank you. Thank you.